Welcome to the Inspiring You Show. I'm Henry, and this, my friends, is a vibrational experience, a remembering of the truth of who we are. Content is light encoded to assist you on your journey if you wish to receive for your highest good. Okay, friends, so today we'll be talking with a very special guest and a dear friend of mine, Tamara Stanville, and let me tell you how amazing she is. She is a 200 hours YTT yoga certified teacher and graduate of the two-year mindfulness meditation teacher training certification program, otherwise known as MMTCP, which many of you heard me talking about it because I was in it with her, led by Jack Kornfield and Tara Brock in collaboration with Sounds True and the University of California's Greater Good Science Center of Berkeley. Tamara has a passion for wanting to help others develop their own inner voice, trust, and wisdom ultimately allowing them to find more love for themselves, others, and the world around them. Her classes focus on meditation, mindfulness, self-compassion, creating more awareness and presence in order to bring the awakened energy into daily life. She leads a gentle, mindful vinyasa flow style class that incorporates elements of her Raja and Hatha yoga training, plus a sprinkling of humor and self-deprecation something she picked up from her early careers as an entertainment performer at Walt Disney World and also through improv comedy at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater in New York, among other stage and screen experiences. She began her yoga and meditation journey in high school as a drama student and continued that interest into college, studying theater arts at the University of Northern Colorado. <laughs> Later in life, she lived overseas for a period of time and explored her practice further while working at Karma Yogi for the Life Center in London. And when not teaching or practicing yoga, she can be found exploring the vineyards of Napa and Sonoma or leading wine tastings as a PR and communication professional with over 15 plus years of marketing and event experience. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome, my friend. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I want to say I'm one of those that's like, this is uh, a dream for me because I'm a longtime listener, huge fan of Henry and Inspiring You and her podcast. And so it is such an honor for me to be here as a guest. I can't believe it. I am just so happy. We've been talking about this for a while. And let's just... First of all, I did not realize that um, you began doing yoga meditation in high school as a drama student. And before we unpack that a bit more, uh, when I was taking that stress and trauma course with Dr. Vessel Vanderkloek, he talked about how in part of his career, one of his kids um, needed some extra support and his child got into theater and he's a big proponent of how theater arts can really bring healing in terms of mental, emotional, physical health. Because obviously, like now I understand the science behind it, the vagus nerve and all the other aspects that you're working on in terms of some of the role playing, which probably could mm -hmm. also be connecting into like internal family systems. Mm -hmm. Never even thought of that, but absolutely, Henry. Yeah. Which is interesting that you were called to it at such a young age to integrate not only the theater arts, but also yoga and meditation, which, you know, it's interesting. I always look at like when you're in your childhood, there's sprinkles of like what is going to be your future. And 
I think sometimes we take that for granted. Like we're actually getting these signs and symbols and we're also being prepared along the way. Hmm. So for you, how do you feel like your childhood in some ways prepped you and prepared you and got you to this moment? Well, it's interesting. Um, I reflect on this a lot, actually, because what drew me to theater is the discomfort with myself (laughs) and my own body. I was always uncomfortable kind of being who I was. And I was definitely one of those kids that like, if I was introduced to anyone, I would hide behind my mom's leg because I was so shy. I was so uncomfortable. I didn't know how to react um, to anything out in the world. And so theater for me was this huge world, this huge outlet where I could make believe, I could be someone else, I could play someone else. Um, I love the dress up aspect. I love all the elements which sort of took me out of myself. And especially I really struggle with over intellectualizing and having that self-consciousness about myself. That's one of the reasons. It took Henry so long to get me on this podcast (laughs) because I still struggle with that. Um, And so for me, when I started to do theater, it was really just about fun and just about play. And I didn't even realize that the practices that we were doing were actually inspired by anything having to do with yoga and meditation. They certainly weren't called yoga and meditation when we were doing it. It was about understanding our connection to our bodies as performers, because if we were going to go out on stage and be asked to do something really physical, we had to know how to work with our bodies. So a lot of the practices that we did were grounding meditations where it was just about like, okay, just feel your feet on the ground. What does that feel like? Okay, notice that feeling. And then it was body scan practices. It was like, okay, let's lie down on the stage as the collective together as a group before we're going to create something, create some piece of art. Let's lie down. Let's settle into our bodies. Let's do a body scan. And so it was really, you know, just scanning through head to toe. How does that feel in your body? And then so much about it, too, was about breath work. I did a lot of performing, both acting and singing, and so much of connecting to the breath, knowing and feeling how to breathe within the body, feeling that full expansion of the breath all the way down into the belly, you know, using the diaphragm instead of just, you know, especially I remember as a teenager being so self-conscious about my chest as a female. And so I always had this like rounded, you know, I wanted to be shy. I wanted to be protected in my daily life. And so I was constantly rounded and sort of hidden and looking down. And theater was the opportunity to, oh, we've got to roll our shoulders back and down. We've got to breathe all the way down into the belly. And so that meant not that shallow breath up in the shoulders, up and down. It was, oh, I'm going to allow my belly to expand and contract. That's not allowed in my real world. You know, I couldn't be a girl that was out there allowing the fullness of their belly to show (laughs) in real life. But in a theater practice, you could put your hands on your belly and you could allow that belly to rise and fall and notice how that felt. Um, so that's definitely part of the underpinning. So when I started to actually learn meditation and yoga, it wasn't until college where I had a professor who was also a yoga instructor. And she said, you know, we're going to do yoga as part of your, um, routine of using your body like an instrument. We really thought of our bodies as instruments. And so as part of that, the physicality of what we were required to do on stage meant we needed to take care of ourselves. And so meditation and yoga became the underpinning of my theater career. 
That is just really incredible. And so I just want to encourage anyone who's listening and if they have families, children, and their kids are asking to uh, do theater, here it comes where how it can be really beneficial for you. And also not just allowing you to get courage in your beingness to be seen Mm. and heard, but also learning how to regulate your nervous system because everything that you were being taught was ground, be here now, be embodied, learning to be okay in your physicality and letting yourself then notice the different aspects of your breath, which then allows you to be able to be expanded in your light. Because if Mm. you're in shallow breathing, then you're maybe constricting something or in a contraction that is preventing you from really allowing yourself to be in full flow of your life force energy. So really incredible. And so, you know, and then in that connection, you then all these aspects where as a child, um, you know, you came into the world feeling shy, hiding, you were called to do theater, which (laughs) then supported you, which Sometimes I call this, you know, I I think sometimes in our human experience, there is an aspect where we are so uncomfortable with change and yet there's an aspect of the need for it. And I always bring out the forklift when I notice my human is kind of like, because there's a difference between, you know, okay, mm, that doesn't feel right for me versus, oh, I'm stuck and... Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm resisting to do that because there's a change to be called. And I think sometimes we have to really learn more to differentiate that because I think people can get really caught in their comfort zones to a point where it then sinks them in paralyzation and then creates this walling off even more of rigidity and this stuckness that feels even worse than the resistance. And so for me, You know, I just call in this, okay, I'm stuck. I need help. And I just imagine myself being forklift out of like my cement wall that I've created around myself into, you know, sometimes I'll imagine myself being put on a beach where then I'm walking on the beach, feeling the water, or maybe in a river that's peaceful where I can sway with the river. And it's just, okay, I got to get my human into beneficial, inspired you know, motion with the energy flow, because I'm really getting caught in stuck energy and rigidity. And so I just want to bring that up because as a child, even though you're having that human experience, you then were called to listen to your intuition, you know, and whether you call it your higher self soul, you're in connection with your guide team, you're being called, and especially as children, you're so much more in the zone, if you will, of the connection of your light. So then you're being called to do something that seeming like as you're the shy kid hiding, but then on stage, you're blossoming. Mm. But really, it's just bringing you into the healing that you need, which then later on, you become a PR and communications professional. So it's right. all like when you look at it, like as a child, like, oh, wow, it's interesting. Did she come into this lifetime then, you know, with aspects of her throat chakra um, closed down? And is that from generational trauma that was handed down through the DNA? Is it something that she also from, you know, past lives or imprinted lives that then is connected into this present moment? Um, Is it also in terms of the collective healing the aspects of the patriarchy where in terms of, you know, 
gender aspect, women being suppressed, repressed, oppressed, that then here is this dynamic of this child coming in. She's presenting one thing, but then all of a sudden the balancing of her divine feminine comes in with the divine masculine. And then she's standing on stage to remember the truth of who she is in her grounding and her alignment. Hmm. I don't know. That just all came through. Isn't that interesting? Oh my God, I love it. Um, so much of that actually really resonates with me, especially around throat chakra. I was like, can't even say it. You said shock. You said shock. Like, yeah, shock, choke, all of it. You you were shocked and choked coming into this life, like, oh my God. Oh, this is what it feels like to be imbalanced with the masculine and feminine. <laughs> yeah, so much of that resonates. Um, I've certainly struggled my entire life as confident as I could feel on stage, I never had that in my day to day. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm good at being on stage. I'm good at, you know, delivering monologues or memorizing content and then reciting it back. And then I started to take a speech class when I was in junior high school and I was horrible at it. I really thought, oh, I'm going to be able to get this no problem. And then I walked up in front of a class and had to deliver a speech and I literally was shaking physically head to toe my voice was shaking I couldn't deliver a thought coherently and I was just like a panicked frozen animal you know having to do this experience um and so much of what you also said about uh generational past trauma I mean on my mother's side she grew up in communist Poland where they literally were not allowed to say or speak their truth for fear of repercussions of whatever could potentially happen. And so there was so much about silencing anything and everything to protect yourself. I mean, it literally was life and death. And so I certainly carried those stories um, that I heard from my mother and my grandparents about, you know, what they experienced. And I'm sure that had an impact on me growing up um, in a lot of ways. And What's also then when you think about, because I've been thinking about evolution a lot lately and in regards to parent, child and the family tree. And so here, you know, first of all, let's just offer compassion to your mom and, you know, your ancestors, relatives that, you know, grew up under that aspect of, you know, we'll just say, you know, persecution, punishment you know, this really depression, depression regime that really is suppressing And so let's just offer like a moment of compassion and silence for that and just send Reiki to it. It's really asking if they want to receive Reiki to receive it for the highest good to support them in healing. And then just also, you know, taking a moment, just recognizing the struggles that, you know, it's not so far off from us that we're in. And it's still very present at this time. I think sometimes people like to skip where we're like, look, we're all in this new world. This Mm -hmm. is amazing. And it's like, yes, and no. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Very much. So I think it's really important just, you know, in sharing these stories and honoring not only what parents have gone through, ancestors have gone through, but also recognizing the evolution and how divine design can come through And, you know, through you as a child and then into adulthood where your title is literally PR communications professional. (laughs) 
Yes. And, you know, that story that you mentioned about how you took that speech class. I took a speech class when I was in college. My God, my first speech, it was terrifying. I ran out of the classroom. Do you know, have you heard that study that people have a higher fear of public speaking than they do of death? No. So if given a choice, yes. So if given a choice, people would rather choose death than having to do public speaking. But what does that say, though, about us as a world that we've been so suppressed, oppressed, repressed and so afraid to speak up that it's become like inherent in terms of the DNA that's being. And then as a child, you don't even know why you're caught in it. And it's just it can be so confusing. And then for a study to say that people can want death versus the opportunity to speak speak and express how you feel and your truth of your perception of the world. And just then, to say anything, anything, you know, right? just anything in front of others, the fear of that, they would rather choose death. And then that means then, you know, really creating invisibility in your own life, which then can affect, it can affect everything, your abundance, your prosperity. Because if you're not allowing yourself to take up the embodiment of the space that you were given, Literally, Mm -hmm. going back to that embodiment. Say that again, Henry, for the people in the back. Oh my gosh, that resonates so much with me. Yeah. You're not willing to let yourself take up the embodiment of the space that you've been given. How are you going to let yourself be worthy of letting yourself receive so much more? Yes. Your treasure is within the physical body that you are given. And yet, if you make yourself into the invisibility aspect... What's your frequency, your vibrational frequency? That is literally what you're putting out. Yeah, this is resonating so much with me, Henry, because for years, I obviously I wanted to be in theater. I wanted to be on stage. I wanted to be a performer. And I always had this vision of one day someone's going to discover me. You know, someone's going to notice, someone's going to pay attention, and then they're going to put me, you know, on a bigger stage, on a bigger platform, whatever it might be. And yet my entire subconscious, my entire life was don't see me, don't notice, don't see what's going on here, hide everything, hide your voice, Um, because I was literally living in this sort of like shell that I created subconsciously for myself. So how on earth was anybody going to be able to see and notice me if I wasn't willing to allow anybody to see and notice the truth of who I was. And so it's literally taken me years and I'm in my 40s now. And it wasn't really until I turned 40 that I started to pivot a corner and I started to make my yearly intentions. Okay, this year, I'm not going to hold myself back anymore because I literally noticed the physicality within my body. I wanted to receive. I wanted to have all these gifts that I knew the universe could provide because I've seen it with other people. I mean, if you don't believe in gifts that you can receive, I mean, look at Oprah Winfrey, you know, look at Beyonce, look at Taylor Swift and the amount of gifts that she's receiving and the amount of people that want to listen and hear her message. That's because she's willing to put it out there. If you're not willing to do that, how on earth can anybody see what you want to say, what you have to offer. Um, And so when I started to make that intention of no longer holding myself back, literally things in my life started to shift. Suddenly I was getting new opportunities. Suddenly doors were opening where in my past, when I tried to pursue acting, I would often run up into these doors of 
okay, I don't know where my path goes anymore because I'm not seeing an open door. I'm not seeing an open opportunity. And as soon as I started to make that shift about how I was going to show up in my life, living in my truth, living in my authenticity as much as possible. I mean, I still work on it all the time. Um, and it varies, you know, depending on the group that I'm with or the people that I'm around. And part of my mindfulness practice is to notice and witness, ah, who am I with and how do I get triggered where I start to shut down, where I start to close off, where I start to silence myself, where I start to physically show that embodiment once again of like closing and uh, coming into a shell version of myself. Um, and it's a challenge, you know, every day, every opportunity that I'm with new people or even people that I've been around. <laughs> Sometimes it's the hardest, you know, around the people that you've known your entire life. How do you show up for them as your new fullest version of yourself when their expectation of you, you know, was this certain way? Um, so, yeah, it's a constant mindful practice of noticing and witnessing. You brought up a few things and one. I do think it's interesting how it can be challenging, specifically with family, how the person that you were yesterday, they're expecting you to be, but yet we're in a new moment of the present of this new time. And I think that's probably one of the most complexity aspects of being a human is that every moment is a new moment and the possibility for where it's always evolving and changing, hmm. but the human can really stay stuck from like in 20 years ago. Absolutely. We love that comfort, right? We love right? that security of, Oh, we knew what to expect here. So hopefully that just continues that status yeah. quo that feels really comfortable. And so I think it can be really challenging how then in families where we're not giving ourselves the space to evolve and yet you are, I mean, children grow and change. Mm -hmm. So why aren't we allowing that space as adults to each other? Mm -hmm. You know, the person mm -hmm. that you became in your 40s is not the person who you stepped into in your 20s. It's completely different. Your body is physically changing too. Right. Yeah. Every seven years it is, right? Our entire cell yeah. makeup evolves and changes. So it is really interesting. And then also it's just really interesting um, you know, everything that you're talking about, how we can be in this, it is that dua duality nature aspect of the humaning that we're in, the experience. And I also think it's interesting that, like, you know, you're being called to do something, you know, here you are in stage. And then at the same time, you're like, wait a minute, I'm not getting anywhere in terms of the job opportunities. So is it your frequency? Yes and no, maybe. I'd say yes and maybe because yeah. you don't know. Or is there like that greater aspect that you're being guided and you're not even, you're not able to see the whole picture yet because the human isn't ready to receive the information. And so all along the way, you're being trained for the exact job and mission that you're here to do. And yet you associate it with like, I'm supposed to be on stage here. But yet, meanwhile, you know, even the connecting to the PR and communications, it's all the connection for you to become the teacher that you're meant to be leading up to, you know, becoming a mindfulness. And now you're a Reiki practitioner, as well as a yoga teacher to support people in terms of really embodying 
the truth of who they are. And meanwhile, your whole journey has been about clearing aspects that A, may not be yours, may be legacy mm-hmm. burdens and B, it could be cultural aspects as well. Mm-hmm. And then also really trusting, you know, the truth of what you're feeling guided to, even if you're uncomfortable, I'm going to go on stage and like, wow, I can be grounded and aligned in a space. Oh, that's interesting. And then when I'm myself doing a speech, I'm losing my voice. What is that about? Mm-hmm. Which then leads you into the mindfulness and the tools, like, what is that about? You know, where am I and going beyond the surface to investigate, to allow yourself to clear so you can evolve in this experience of your humaning? Yes, absolutely. I mean, certainly one of the practices that I use quite a bit when I'm in those moments of whether it be triggering, whether it be a feeling of overwhelm, we learned a practice called RAIN through our MMTCP program. And Tara Brock talks about this practice quite a bit. And it's an acronym that stands for recognize, allow or accept, investigate, and then nurture. And nurture is always my favorite. Um, And so I'll sit and I'll do this practice quite often when I'm feeling that sense of overwhelm, when I'm feeling really confused about noticing and witnessing what's happening in my body, what's happening with the emotions that I'm experiencing. And it's usually a heightened sense or it can be a very sort of heavy presence as well. I know you talk about this a lot, Henry, that the energy can feel really heavy and dense. And when I notice that um, showing up, that's when I really utilize the tool of RAIN so that I can sort of unpack what's happening there. And oftentimes, the interesting thing about RAIN is that you'll do the practice and it's not exactly like a fix it, like a rubber stamp of like, okay, now you've done the practice and now you're great. So move back into the world with effortless and ease. (laughs) It's not that whatsoever. It's very much about noticing, witnessing, becoming curious to the experience, becoming curious to asking questions around what's being felt, what's being experienced, what's here to teach or show me um, in my next step of evolution? What do I need to see? What's being hidden that I didn't even realize is hiding? Is there a thought, a belief, a past experience perhaps that's still being held onto within my body somehow? And my present day experience is now inviting inquiry in so that I can actually unpack it and start to heal it. And so oftentimes when I do rain, I don't necessarily feel exuberant or, you know, peppy (laughs) at the end of the practice, but I do feel different. There's always a shift. There's always an awareness. There's always um, a deeper understanding of what is happening for me that I can uh, take away. And then I might sit down and do rain again if I feel inspired to, to unpack whatever else, you know, wasn't unpacked the first go around. That is one of my favorite practices as well. I actually do a practice. I call it brains. I turn on Reiki and oh yes, correct my breath. And then I do the rain. And then the S is for the shifting for um, inviting in peace energy. Because once I recognize what's happening and bring in the clearing of the dense energies with Reiki, I ask then the peace and the light energy to fill in the spaces so that I can have a shift into a high vibrational frequency. Um, that helps me. 
And I do have a podcast episode, I think, on it. I'll put it in the the notes. Um, but I do, you know, it is interesting that our story is kind of parallel in a way where I also did, um, I was called to do acting classes in my early 20s. And then I also, you know, from that experience of college running out of the um, classroom, I had seen like a past life that I was traumatized in terms of my voice. And so you you were in an acting class. Is this what you're saying, Henry? You were in a class. Well, during college, I was in that public speaking class. And when I ran out of the class in fear, ah. I saw a past life. Oh, interesting. And in the past life, I was actually, um, I was, you know, put to death because I was speaking my truth. Wow. And it was very confusing at the time because at that time I was like, do I even believe in past lives? I don't even know what past lives are. I've been seeing images since I was a, like a kid. It's just movies. I never knew. I called them movies that I'd never seen on TV or in the movie theater before. <laughs> and and that just felt real. Because they were so vivid, so vibrant, looked just like yeah. a movie scene. And so, but it was my first real recognition of like, okay, what's happening here? Why am I so scared? And so then um, my next semester for college, I only need to take one class for my prereqs and all to finish college. And I still had like two other classes I needed to fill. So I'm like, oh, I'll just take acting classes. And I had that same terrifying feeling that I oh, had wow. in public speaking. And so I got through the public speaking class. And then I made myself get through the acting class. And what part of it about the acting class was where the all fear wrote the whole thing? Like, wow. Okay. Like all of it. And then, and I was like, wow, there is like some huge terror here, mm -hmm. which I love. Like I've always loved television and movies. And so I was also just very curious though. Why am I so scared about this? Why is this freezing me? What is happening here? And so then I moved from Massachusetts to California and one of my high school roommates, um, he wanted to take acting classes and he's like, you want to do acting classes with me? I'm like, I feel like everybody who moves from the East Coast to the West Coast, it's like in their 22, they, they, they end up in acting class for sure, especially in LA. Right. Yeah. So I was like, sure. But really what it was for me was I was so scared of it. It was so terrifying for me. So he couldn't talk to me in the car because I was so, I was like, don't talk to me. I was so scared. I was frozen in fear. As you were going to the class? As I was going to the class. Amazing. By the way, we took classes for years together. Amazing. And it like, continued like the whole time? Um, Like the first year. It got better okay. once I started auditioning. Oh, interesting. It actually got better at the worst part of what acting is required. So, and then the acting teacher would always be like, you have the natural ability to do this. And I'm like, oh God. And then I started auditioning and I got an agent and they started sending me all these places. And before I'd always have to make sure, like say if I was going like in college, before college classes started, the day before I'd have to go to see where all my classes were. Because yes, I totally get this. Yes. I don't like I had a fear of getting lost in the crowd. And so I'd be like, I'm OK, I'm OK, I'm OK. And I would chant this to myself. And so then 
the first day of classes would happen. I would know where to go. I would still have to go early, like 10 minutes early to each class. So I could never have like class after class after class because I needed space in between you to get to the class yeah. early because I had to sit in the space before everybody came in or as everybody left, I had to get into the space before the crowd came in. Oh, interesting. Okay. I didn't realize there was a lot of past lives where, um, things happened to me and my safety was pulled. And so uh, this was a mechanism that was created to support me in my human experiences to be able to do things before those elements of those past lives got cleared. Does that make sense? So the guides, when I was a kid, when I first went into school, the guides gave me, I'm okay as a mantra. Yes. They said, I, when I you feel this. fear, yeah. I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. And it was to calm my nervous system, mm. to reground me. And what was happening is, is that there were situations that happened to me as a child, uh, not as a child, in past lives where I would go into a room, the doors would close and like not great things would happen. Oh, yes. So in a classroom setting, when the doors close and you're in a group of strangers, like it was bringing up, yeah, reliving that past life. Right. And so the I'm okay got me like, okay, I'm okay. I'm in this new moment. I'm anchoring this new moment. I'm anchoring this new moment. I'm not in that, you know, and so then the nervous system would re-regulate. And so then they brought me to, you know, the public speaking class and then to acting. So that way it could clear what happened in the past lives. And so then what happened, I got an agent and I started auditioning and I was going out for all these parts. And then I started getting parts and it was all equally terrifying for me. Like That's amazing. Like, like the whole process was just terrifying. But what happened is one day when I was, I don't know, I was on my like fourth audition. I noticed, I was like, oh my God, I'm not saying I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay anymore. Oh, wow. It was just it there finally and finally cleared. And then I, um, I think that same year I started working with one of my intuitive energy healers, um, teachers. And when I told her, she was like, oh, what happened was it took a lot longer, but you basically cleared those past lives. And so that fear was no longer in your system. And right. so then you were no longer getting dragged into the past and in the present, like past lives and present. Mm -hmm. So that's why you no longer needed the tool, the I'm okay. And I was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. So it took a lot longer. And so when I talk about being efficient, part about my efficiency is like, wow, that took me a lot. That took me like 20 so years to clear. And so now I'm always like, OK, there's got to be a more efficient way than like 20 years. Right. That's Can why I'm always asking version this round. I'm up. like, seriously, like 20 years. Like that was a lot. Because I have that like, oh, my God, like there was a lot of times there's got to be an mm -hmm. easier, more gentle way. And so I look at your story in terms of acting and, you know, and then I also was a communication major in college, mm -hmm. too. I look at it as like, wow, you know, just being drawn to even though you think like as a kid, they told me I was going to move to California and I was going to work in television. Your guides told you. My guides told yeah. me when I was five years old. Yeah. I thought it was going to be inscripted, but that's because it's all I knew back then, right? Of course, that's that's what we saw, right? Growing up, right? But the reality is, 
I was meant to be in reality TV on the forefront with it because it was became an, it wasn't even a genre. And to have that experience of newness, being with a group of people, trailblazing, to understand trailblazing, and then also to utilize the tools that I had been learning from public speaking, from acting, from auditioning, to then being in interviewing with people because I also was terrified at first of doing interviews with people. But meanwhile, it's one of my favorite things to do. But all those story dots led me to this point. And even though I was so fearful and terrified moments, the guys just kept giving me the tools like the I'm okay, mm-hmm. or I use the rain tool. I use Reiki. And it's really working with like, okay, there's something here for me. I don't understand it yet. It feels complex and difficult. But then once you're through it, like you said, you know, you're through the shift, you just see the story dots lining up mm-hmm. and all through you in terms of your relationship with you know, your throat chakra, your communication, your abilities. I'll say then coming full circle now back to what you were talking about with MMTCP and doing the RAIN practice. And one of the things that drew me to you as us becoming friends was your ability to hold compassion space and also your ability to bring in such a high level of consciousness and understanding. Hmm. And it really kind of bespokes of like, now that I'm like connecting the story to us, it really just your whole journey of the depth of your experiences from childhood, from understanding your ancestry, your mother's journey, and then your own journey with, how difficult it can be to struggle with something when you want something here, but then you're like, oh gosh, there's something here in it that feels immovable. Mm -hmm. Your ability to hold compassion space was one of the most profound experiences I've had. And I've had a lot of profound experiences, (laughs) but it was a very profound experience to have someone hold space for me in such a way that I could feel the compassion and that level of loving kindness frequency where words don't even need to be held or said. It's really about the embodiment of the vibrational frequency. And you did that for me at a time when I was really not in a good space because, you know, many on the audience know some of the things I've gone through. And It was really difficult sometimes being in the program. Um, And I'm talking about MMTCP, which there were so many amazing things about it. And I'm so happy that I went through it. But it was because of you that I actually ended up not like you and another person. Um, It was really because of that compassion space that you held for me that I was like, okay, like I just remembered. I can do this. Mm. Like it brought such a shift for me and I have so much gratitude for you for that. And I just feel so blessed to have you in my life as not only a friend, but also someone I can learn from and just being here in this space. I'm just so honored to be here to share with people about how amazing you are and 
your ability to hold compassion is just so profound. And I just think that anybody who's listening, if you are in a space where you are needing like just to really feel what it feels like in a tangible way to feel loved, cared for, and have somebody hold compassion for you, you need to call my friend (laughs) Cameron here (laughs) because she is just, you just have this essence ability that is just so profound. Oh my gosh. I'm tearing up, Henry. Like so much of that means so much to me. I consider you such a dear friend. I'm so honored that our paths crossed so that we could meet through MMTCP. Um, And it's interesting. I mean, so much of what you're saying, I had to learn how to be compassionate. I wasn't innately a compassionate person. Um, Growing up, like I said, I was very shy. And so I think I was actually perceived as rather standoffish. and. hard to relate to. And throughout my entire life, I've actually really struggled because one of the ways that I've protected myself is to isolate myself from others. And so compassion for me is very much a choice. It's something that I've learned. It's something that I've developed over time and I practice. And what started me actually on the road to compassion was I grew up in Colorado. I went to the University of Northern Colorado, and I was there when Columbine happened. And I remember, gosh, I'm getting literally goosebumps as I'm talking about this right now, which I'd actually love to hold a space for that and that moment because it really was a shift on our planet for something different arrived. And I know there were incidents of violence, especially gun violence and other forms of violence before that. But to have it happen the way that it did down the road from where I was and to know that the kids that were there were close to my age because I was just a freshman in college when it happened. And I remember thinking, like, what the heck happened? Like, what? What would cause these beautiful souls to go out into the world and want to hurt one another the way that they did? And I didn't understand it because I knew the communities there looked like the communities that I was from, you know, and we're all supposed to be, you know, these good, happy people. So how on earth could this happen? And I remember really sitting there in my theater class because that's when we were told about it and just struggling with the idea of what occurred. And I literally, I felt it in my body. I feel, I still feel it to this day. And I didn't know what to do about it. I mean, I think that's still the thing that we're struggling with as humans on this planet. We don't know what to do about this virus that's affecting so many of our communities. And like many others, because I didn't know what to do, I didn't take any action at the time. Um, And then years went by and I moved overseas. And while I was living in London, the Sandy Hook tragedy happened. And again, I want to give space for this. And I'd never felt so far away from my home 
and from the community that I grew up in and the America that I believed in. Because being a child of immigrants, I know and I was taught the beauty of what America has as a potential, as an idea of what it can offer that so many that come here for refuge, for a better life, for freedom, for freedom to be able to say and do what they want to be able to do, for the freedom to be able to love and express who they want to love, for the freedom to create art in the way that they want to create art. We have so many beautiful gifts to offer so many who do come here. And yet we also have these things we're not willing to look at and to really explore. And so as an American living overseas and witnessing and watching what happened at Sandy Hook, I couldn't just ignore it anymore. I couldn't just watch and witness and go, okay, somebody else is going to fix this. And I have to say, the first thoughts that I had were somebody else is going to step up. Somebody else is going to make a shift. You know, the moms are going to get together and they're going to create moms against whatever, you know, just like um, with drunk driving, you know, it took the moms to come together and start to create a shift and change in the culture, because that's what it is. We have to shift culture to kindness and compassion. That is my platform, if I believe in anything. (laughs) To the day I die on this earth and in this iteration and this life form, I will be about kindness and compassion and Anything that, I'm not even going to say that because kindness and compassion welcomes anything and everything. So even if you're not aligned to that, I still love you because you're still here and you're still with me. So anyway, from listening and watching what was happening, I happened to tune into an interview on CNN and one of the mothers who lost her son at Sandy Hook, whose son was murdered because that's the way she would say it. Her name is Scarlett Lewis. I love her to death. She got on CNN, and this was days after the tragedy happened, and she talked about how she understood that it wasn't necessarily the gun that went into the classroom that killed her son and the students that were with him. It was someone who made a choice to make a violent action. And he happened to have access to these horrible weapons. So the initiation of what triggered him to going into that classroom was having an emotion of anger. He felt anger and didn't know what to do with it. And so he took it out on innocent children because that's what he had access to. It was an angry thought that turned into an angry, violent action. So how do you shift? How do you change that? And she was the first person that I've ever heard in reaction to these things that are happening in our country that said, we can choose a different way. We can actually choose to make a kind, loving thought and transition how we feel. Like Because she talked about at the funeral for her son, she said, every one of us feels angry right now and we have a right to. It's allowed. That's natural, but we can also consciously choose to shift that anger, to bring mindfulness. I mean, at that time, she wasn't speaking about about mindfulness, but she is now through her organization, the Jesse Lewis Choose Love Foundation, the Choose Love Movement. They literally are out in schools across the United States, across Canada, and now out globally 
teaching students social emotional learning skills so that we have coping mechanisms when we're feeling overwhelmed, when we're feeling angry, when we're feeling these tumultuous, you know, experiences of humanness. Like you talk about this all the time, Henry. This is part of our humanness experience. We're here with difficult emotions, difficult feelings, and we're not taught how to process them, how to allow them, how to feel. I mean, so much of the work that I do with my clients is simply about sitting and allowing yourself to be exactly as you are, to feel exactly what you're feeling. Because I certainly grew up feeling like I needed to suppress all of that. I couldn't ex express it. I couldn't expose it. And so that's why I found, you know, acting and being on stage, that was a safe space that I could scream and cry and rail and rage or do anything that was considered acceptable. But in my personal daily life, I mean, you can't have a temper tantrum, you know, after the age of three in our culture, it's not acceptable. So how do Suppress, you find repress, ways? oppress. <laughs> right. So how do you find ways to cope when you're taught that you're not allowed to express or to feel? So what other options do you have? You grab a gun, you grab you know, something else. You grab drugs. You find a way to escape because it's Food, far, anything. Alcohol, yeah. I mean, I TV sleep. I am such a sleeper. <laughs> if I can tune myself out in some way, you know, those are the choices that we make in order to feel safe. Um, so coming back to it, I started to make a change and a shift that if I wanted to see the world as something different, I needed to start to shift within myself and make a change. And that meant anything and everything that I do, I intend to be done with compassion and kindness for anyone and everything. And what's interesting is, is that you also, and maybe also part of the theater training where you naturally go into practice. And I'm just going to say this, one of my challenges, so I have such fear about just speaking up on this stuff because I feel like, like I should just say like everything was fantastic and perfect. And it was just great. And so I have a lot of emotion coming up right now on this mm -hmm. and I'm just going to, I'm going to work through it, send Reiki and just lean into some courage um, because you just shared that just real incredible story of just a mom going through just one of the worst times of her life in terms of such tragedy. And so just have compassion for what she went through and then also recognizing just having courage to speak up and choosing love. And so out of love, out of choosing love and compassion, I will say one of the challenges I had at times in our two-year program at MMTCP was I didn't always feel like we were encouraged to practice when it was the most important time to practice. There was a lot of talking at and when, um, when we, and I'm just going to explain it for the audience, uh, we were put in two different groups. We had one small peer group for two years, and then we had another peer group and each peer group consisted of, there were six of us in it. And so, and then we had a second peer group that came probably like six months into the program. Yeah. Like four or six. Yeah. Four or six, like something like mm -hmm. that. And this was a um, diversity, equity, inclusive training program that we were then in that was also with wrapped in the mindfulness teacher program we were in. And so um, Tamara was in that group 
with That's me. how we met. Yeah. That's how we met. And I immediately felt like, you know, when we got into the group, I was like, oh God, I can breathe. Here's people also in this space with me that is also curious and wanting to understand the tools and, and how to, and, and understanding them. It's really what you were talking about. You know, you just shared this experience of being in the United States and then moving to England. And then you had your, I mean, that's like an awakening moment that you happened that even though it's non-beneficial aspect in terms of the shock, mm-hmm. that shock actually cracked you open. And it doesn't mean that the compassion hadn't been there. What was happening was you were caught in survival mechanisms that then was creating aspects of isolation and this kind of shutdown experience to kind of, in some ways, to protect you. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, that's what yeah. the human body does, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the compassion, though, was then so that it cracked you open and it really brought you into your heart space and in your heart space, connecting to the, you know, your higher self soul, then in terms of the natural aspect of the essence of who we each are in the capability of the energy of love and compassion. So in that, um, I'm just going to say there were moments in our program at MNTCP that was really difficult for me that I just felt really sad and I just feel really sad right now. I feel sad that the practice wasn't always there in place. And I think that's what's one thing I really um, appreciate about you is that you're like, even though I always talk about tools, like you remind me of tools, like (laughs) let's practice. Like before we got on, you're like, let's practice. Let's just sit. I needed the ground. Yeah. And I was like, that's like my jam in terms of my playground. Like, yeah, let's practice. Because I even had like a resistance to the word teacher. Like I just look at us all, we're all here together. We're all peers together, trying to move through this human experience, understanding the complexity of the connection of the heart, the higher self soul, like what does it all mean? And I just look at it like we're here together, holding hands together, whether we want to or like to or whatever. We're in a collective together, people in Mother Earth's body. And so um, I just had some, there was some moments of just sadness where I'm like, where's the practice? It was so rhetoric at times where mm-hmm. I felt like I was being talked like at me instead of let's, oh, wait, something's coming up for you. Let's practice. Right. Let's, let's do pause. Rain. Let's, let's pause. pause. Notice. Okay. Yeah. There's something being felt here. How do we hold the space together? How do we explore this with one another? What's showing up? Let's ask questions. Let's get inquisitive and curious. Yeah. And that's why when we were put in that group, I was so grateful. And there's just no accidents because I also recognized there were a lot of components where I didn't even realize there were things that I still needed to clear. Um, And some of what I was also seeing in my experience um, in MMTCP was Uh, there was some walling off from other aspects of my life that I needed to also recognize and clear in myself and then also just allow myself to admit what I like. And what I like is I like to be in the play of it in terms of reminding, oh, there's something difficult coming up. What tool could be here? And have somebody not just me be the only person, but also have somebody else remind me and hold space for me that I deserve 
to also have someone hold space for me in terms of compassion and loving kindness. And it's not always me just holding space for someone else that we are living in this place where it's about give and take. It's where about you can allow yourself receive, right? And Absolutely. in the community. Yeah. And you reminded me of that. And because the other thing was there was emails being sent out from MMTCP talking about how we're in a community. And I was getting triggered because mm-hmm. I was like, I don't feel like we're in a community. You weren't having that experience. I wasn't having yeah. that experience. I know that some other people had that experience. I think you had a very different experience than me, I which did. by the way, also helped me. It helped uh-huh. me to know that other people were having different experiences and it brought such joy to my life. But what you brought specifically was like, oh, let's use the tools. And it's like, yeah, let's use the tools. And also the importance of just taking a pause to hold space for whatever you're feeling and not getting caught in the talking action of the story per se. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Well, and I know you and I even spoke at one point about, you know, something that had happened during the program. And I personally felt like more space should have been given instead of just you know, staying on the course, but to just to be the counterbalance, I did have a different experience. Um, I loved a lot of who I had the chance to meet through my experience. But what was interesting and what you do flag up um, well, Henry, is that we had to create our own separate subgroup to support our practicing and to support community for ourselves. And so because I was in the Bay Area, we collectively came together as an organization, as a group, uh, just... And just for everybody who's listening, sorry, that's San Francisco and California. Oh, yes. Thank you. I do have people that are in all over the world. (laughs) Yes. San Francisco (laughs) Bay Area, Northern California. Um, And there were quite a few folks that were part of the program. And because location, Lily, we happened to be near one another. And so there were some lovely individuals that found and create a a space for us in order to be able to meet and to practice on a weekly basis. And we still continue to meet and practice on a weekly basis because we created that community for one another. Um, And certainly that was probably the most rewarding aspect of my experience is the people that I did get to meet like you or others in my Bay Area community here in the Northern California area. Which I love that you also opened it up more for me as well, because you are in such a community with so many other um, MMTC peers, you brought in information that I didn't also know about, which so helped me in so many different ways. And I so appreciated. And like, I loved that, like that just like so much of it brought joy in hearing your experience. And also then in the practice of it, I also realized Like, I don't need like a ton, Mm. like just having a couple of people that I really resonate with in this place and able to then use the tools and workshop the tools and that I can show up and be myself however I look. Yeah. Like there's no expectation of Henry. It's just, oh, what's happening? Oh, okay. Hey, let's just use a tool. Yeah. And it was just so profound and it just brought a lot of liberation and freedom. And also, you know, the reality is, is that you can go through an experience and your human might be thinking it's one thing and it's really could be something completely different. 
And, but how is it for your highest good? And so for my highest good, it's like, it just strengthened my compassion practice because then even in my small group, my peer group, I was just using it because everyone showing up had something that they were there for in terms of learning and healing. Mm -hmm. And so I can show up and I can have compassion for each person and be in loving kindness and also understand that it doesn't mean like if I need something, that group per se may not be the space where I'm going to get my needs fulfilled, which that's completely okay. Right. It doesn't have to be the end all be all because I'm put in a group for two years mm -hmm. and I still can have love and just compassion when I think about the group. And also I can still have joy that people are growing and that they're, they're going to be the exact teachers that they're supposed to be and have the students that are going to come to them to work with them. Absolutely. Yeah. And that really was because like our relationship through the rest of the program for like the, you know, whenever it is, what was the year and a half where I was able to then share with you and talk with you in a very sacred space, which then just allows just you to grow even more. Mm. And so I'm just so grateful for you for that. And but I do want to know, like, why did you decide at this point to do the two-year mindfulness meditation teacher training program? Mm, um, I'll come back to that in a second, but I do just want to frame up what you said is really important because what we're talking about is sort of a micro version of the macro of our culture and our society, right? So there are many groups that are created all the time. And some people don't have groups to support them. Um, but like what you said, it doesn't take a large group in order for someone to feel held. It may just be one or two other people with them. But the importance of having that sense of community, of having that sense of, you know, a village to help and support and grow. You know, we're here as humans having a, a human experience in our own, you know, sort of individual way. But we're here as a community. Nobody comes into this world without the help of someone else. And similarly, I don't think we pass out of this world without the help of others as well. So how can we keep little systems of community to support ourselves as we go along on that journey? I think it's so important. Um, and like you said, that people can show up as themselves without the feeling of being judged, of being um different or weird, just allowing, you know, however they're showing up. If, you know, one of the things that I really loved about our program is we got to meet authors and other teachers and speakers like Sebene Selassie, who wrote the book, You Belong. If anybody hasn't read that, I highly recommend it because it's really about anyone and everyone can show up and be in a space together just by the essence of us being here. Like, so holding that space and offering that to others in a way that's supportive without the judgment. And I think what you're saying, supportive, that's really with the loving kindness and compassion, because there is a discernment to make mm. when you're getting caught in trauma bonding. Absolutely. And so, you know, that's one thing where I can share something with you and I understand that you're not going to hold on to it. And get into a vilifying mode where then, you know, vilifying, you know, the event or the experience of the person to the point where we're in trauma bonding. Right. Could, and that's what brings us the connection with one another. No, it's yeah. not that. 
it's, it's completely different to have somebody hold a sacred space for you in a compassion and loving kindness where another person can process. And then that processing is in completion. And then you're evolving your relationship or friendship from the space of the energy of love and Absolutely. joy. Absolutely. And it's a completely different experience. Yeah. So important what you just said, Henry. Absolutely. Because really culturally we're taught we can bond over our gossip and um, yeah, in, in other ways, but this is a wholesome way to create that and, bond. And, and it doesn't mean that you're not going to have difficulties or, you know, be in sadness or have upset. It's you're, you're inviting it all in and then also inviting in, though, the ability that when you are ready, there is the healing possibility and then and not making your relationship about that. In terms of the trauma. Right. Yeah, it's completely different. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, yeah. OK, but I want to know, like, so, all right, <laughs> what made you decide? So it was interesting. So I did my yoga teacher training which I also have to just talk about that story, what led me on that journey. Um, I mentioned that turning 40 was a big milestone year for me. I was really unhappy with where I was in life, what I was doing in my career. I felt unsettled. I didn't feel like I had a purpose or a path. And I started just to make choices that I thought I would enjoy. And so that started with going to my local yoga studio and just starting to take yoga classes because I dropped my practice since I'd been living overseas over in London. I didn't continue it when I moved back to the United States. And so I didn't feel connected to myself. I didn't feel connected to my body. Um, certainly didn't feel connected to my voice or my intuition because when I'd started my job over here, I was very much shut down and isolating myself. Um, alongside my coworkers because I I had a view that I didn't fit in with them. And so in order not to rock the boat, I'll just keep myself over here in this corner and do my thing, go in, go out, and leave. Um, so anyway, I started just getting curious and started to follow those little breadcrumbs that were like, wouldn't it be fun to do? this. And for me, it was yoga. And so I started taking classes at my local yoga studio. And immediately, I was like, I love this. I love being in these classes. I love the teachers. I loved the environment. I love how I felt physically in my body during the class, after the class. And a few weeks into doing that, one of my teachers came around and happened to ask, are you a yoga teacher? And I said, no, why? <laughs> and she said, well, actually, you have, you know, good form and technique and what you're doing. You may think about wanting to do a yoga teacher certification at some point. And funny enough, I'd sort of had this inkling of an idea of, OK, maybe that could be something interesting. So anyway, I ended up signing up for the program to do it. But I had all of these barriers that showed up for me immediately when I thought, oh my gosh, wouldn't that be fun to do this yoga program? It was nine months. And I was like, at that time in my life, how on earth was I going to commit to nine months of anything? I couldn't see how that would work. I think we were required to meet certainly monthly, but it was almost weekly or biweekly. And I also had a barrier to that thinking, there's no way that's going to fit into my schedule because at the time I was very much full-time in my PR communications role which meant I was very busy. We were traveling. This is all pre-COVID. 
So I didn't think it would fit into my schedule. There was a significant cost investment. At that time, I was very stingy about how I spent money and especially on something for myself (laughs) that was a big investment. Um, I had a lot of barriers to that as well. And then ultimately, I noticed how the idea felt in my body and everything in my body lit up. I literally felt the butterflies, the excitement of, oh my gosh, wouldn't it be fun? And at that time, I didn't even have any intention of teaching at the end of the certification. I just thought, I'm loving yoga. I'm loving what I'm doing in class. If I can just have nine months of an immersive experience to learn more about it, I'm totally down for that. So I signed up and loved it even more. Like I'm such a a school nerd when it comes to subjects that I love. And so I just, I ate everything up. I did the program, finished my nine-month program, earned my yoga teacher certification. And at the end of that, I actually did not feel comfortable teaching yoga at all. I was terrified of it because I didn't have the confidence in myself as a teacher to be able to offer something that would physically move others in a way that I would feel safe about it. So what ended up happening is I actually started to teach my coworkers meditation on our lunch breaks. And I was so much more comfortable with meditation and leading meditations. And so the more that I started doing that, I actually became a meditation teacher way before I ever started teaching yoga. And then once I started to transition into teaching yoga a little bit, I thought, you know, I'm certified in yoga, but I'm not certified in teaching meditation. This could be important. And so that's when the MNTCP program presented itself to me in the way that the universe always does. You get a sign, you get a signal, you get, you know, something pops up in your Facebook feed or whatever it happens to be. And um, again, when I saw the opportunity to sign up, I thought, yeah, I want to do that. I really want to be immersed for two years in mindfulness meditation. And at the end of that, if I get a certification, that's actually why I signed up for the program initially. And funny enough, on the completion of that two-year program, the certification is actually the thing that carries the least weight for me now. Like it's the thing that hooks me. It's the thing that I signed up for. Um, But at the end of the day, it's the friendships, it's the people that I met, it's the practices that I learned, the experiences that I had, the way that the practices continue to unfold in how I'm teaching, what I'm offering. Um, And I loved the practicum experience where we actually got to teach for groups of people in either in um, a course capacity for a four to six week course Or what now transitioned for me is I'm leading day-long retreats where I'm incorporating both meditation and yoga and mindfulness into the offerings for my day-long. So um, it's really become the foundation of so much of how I teach. So I'm very thankful for it. I love that. And I will also say I'm really grateful for the friendships, obviously, and with you and so many other people that I have met along the way. We have somebody else from our DA group that we are also in friendship with. And then also um, you spoke about the authors. I love Mm. the authors and the books because I love reading books. I mean, I like ate up every book suggestion they had and I loved it. Um, Yeah, I was so inspired by so many of them that they had on. And I think 
they had Peter Levine come on, right? Yes. I think it was Peter Levine came on and I'd done somatic experiencing for two years. And so I loved it for him. I think I was inspired though from Peter Levine. Um, and I had been meaning to read his book, Body Keeps the Score. I think that's how I got onto it was from listening to that talk. Yeah, um, I'm trying to remember. I know there was someone and I can't remember if it was Bessel or not, but someone very similar to him because what resonated about what they were speaking about was that he was doing the trauma-informed therapy around Holocaust oh, yes, survivors. Book. We read a mindfulness trauma-informed book that I thought was just um, David. Yes, Trefethen. Tref- yes, yes, yes. That book was one of the books that I was like, oh, I've been meaning to read Body Keeps the Score. And then that also inspired at the same time, my small group, my peer group, my mentor, I really liked working with her and she was really inspiring in a lot of ways. And we actually took courses together outside of MMTCP. And she mentioned she was going to be taking Orin J. Sofer's class and he does mindfulness and nonviolent communication. He wrote this book, Say What You Mean. And I took that course with her and we were actually buddies in it to workshop the nonviolent communication. And it was amazing. Like it was amazing to work with her in that aspect. And I also, it deepened our relationship and friendship. She's actually, um, if somebody is doing or wants to do, they have Cloud Sangha, which is part of Tarbrock and Jack Cornfield's programs they offer. She is a Sangha teacher. So I'll give Alexa a shout out for that. And I just looked it up. It wasn't Bessel van der Kork that spoke with us. It was Thomas Hubble. Hubel. Thomas Hubble, that's right. He was incredible. He was amazing. And I did take, I just finished his course with Dr. Richard Schwartz, which that was amazing. But yeah, it really opened up my world because I'm like you, I've always loved learning and books and reading. And I think as I went through my career in when I was working in TV as a producer, I kind of shut that part off of me. Like my whole college experience, like I loved college. I loved learning. I loved taking the different subjects. And I'm like, why would I close that off? And so that's part of like what just brought more joy to me, just opening me up to all these different aspects of learning. And Henry, that's such an important point, what you just said, because I hear so often, and I knew this in myself as well, when I was really in the corporate grind of things and miserable, hating my job, whatever it happened to be, I wasn't reading. I wasn't looking outside myself for information and knowledge. And I hear that so often from coworkers that they don't have time to read. They haven't read a book since college. I think that's such an important gateway to tapping into yourself, to tapping into the unknown, the exploration of humanness. And, you know, if we're not creating that time and space to explore, whether it be authors, whether it be podcasts, um, this is another one of the huge ideas that I really contemplate a lot is our conscious consumption. What are we consuming, not only physically through our food and nutrition, but also what are we consuming as uh, consumers? You know, what are we reading? What are we watching? What are we listening to? Who are we surrounding ourselves with? I think it's all so important, the information that we take in 
not just physically as we eat it, but also, I mean, we literally have social media feeds. If we don't think this is feeding us, <laughs> it is. What is it feeding what, you? Yeah. What is feeding you? Is it content that makes you feel nourished at the end of the day? Do you feel better or worse at the end of looking through your feed? And if it does make you feel worse, then why have a feed that has that kind of content in it? I specifically have gone through um, because I hear a lot of people talk about social media and how social media doesn't make them feel good. But in my feeds, I don't have things. I don't see things that don't make me feel good. And if they do, I notice and witness that. And then I actually take it out of my feed. And sometimes that actually does mean, you know, not following someone. That can be hard. That can be challenging to come up against oh, well, you know, I should be following them. I should be friends with them. I should be paying attention to what they're doing. But if it doesn't bring me joy, if it doesn't bring me happiness, if it doesn't uplift me, inspire me, you know, at the end of the day, why am I continuing to keep it in my orbit? <laughs> Absolutely. I put up on my Inspiring You feeds. I often, well, specifically Instagram and Facebook, I put up uh, oftentimes just inspiring videos you know, children laughing Love or them. animals. And I do it because it just can bring in uplifting and inspiring and to inspire people. Because sometimes I do notice, um, I start to get like information heavy. Like if people are just constantly putting out like, here's my brand, here's my mm. brand, here's my brand, here's, here's what I'm selling, here's what I'm selling. And it, it just starts to get so heavy that it's like, for me, um, if somebody were to look at like the brand that I'm selling, they'd be like, why do you put it? And I consciously do it because it's about bringing in inspiration energy. It is about uplifting. And also too, it's not just about me. I live in a collective space and I'm curious about the world around me. And I also want to invite other people in to mm -hmm. be curious and I also want to give shout outs to people like, wow, I loved your video. Your video made me think your video brought a smile. Mm -hmm. Hey, thanks a lot. Thanks for curating that video. Right. Thanks for bringing it here. And I just want to call attention to that space. But it is an interesting thing. Like when you're saying feeds, like what is it feeding? And what I also notice sometimes people will go into like, you know, well, it's Instagram or Facebook. And it's like, okay, let's not make it right or wrong, good or bad. Like just bring it into the isness and in the isness is however you're feeling is okay. Just let yourself use the tools to work with it. Mm -hmm. And then once you've used the tools to work with it, you know, is there any inspired action to take, you know, like you're talking about where, all right, do I need to, to a feed clean? Do I need to feed different food in there? Right. For the mm -hmm. algorithm to be different. Right. Yeah. Am I eating an unbalanced feed? Yeah. <laughs> And then also um, I follow some of the animal things and specifically, um, you know, just some of the dogs that are trying to get, um, you know, it's sometimes really difficult for me, but I follow that so that I can send Reiki mm -hmm. and then I also can bear witness to what's going on. Sure. So I'm not in denial of it. Right. Um, and sometimes that's, you know, that can be hard, but I don't do it every week, though. I send Reiki to it every day, but I don't like I don't go on to I do it 
you know, here and there, but not so much that it's, you know, bringing me to a point of um, depression. Right. Because you're still taking care of you. Ultimately, you know how to titrate so that you're still taking care of your system so that you can remain healthy. Yeah. And well, which is so important, right? Yes. And then also I can send Reiki in my daily Reiki meditation to these groups if they wish to receive for the highest good. And so then supports me to feel like in terms of I'm still in an individual, in a collective group, and I'm doing my inspired action my way. It might look different than someone else, but that's completely okay. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like when we first started doing our meta compassionate loving kindness practice, and just offering words of kindness to anyone, anything out in the world. You know, if there is a world tragedy happening somewhere, you can always say those words of, you know, may you be well, may you be healthy, may you feel safe, whatever it happens to be. And you can always, you know, create those words and phrases that mean something to you in order to offer that energy towards whatever you want. Speaking of that, do you want to lead us through a little practice? A short sure. Little practice? Should we do a meta? A meta loving sure. kindness let's practice? Do a, let's do a meta. And okay. just to explain to everyone, um, there was a point where so, oh, there's just a lot of things going on anyway, but there's a lot of things going on. And um, we felt compelled to offer meta loving kindness practices once a week for a while as a subgroup in our mindfulness meditation teacher program. And it just, it's just a beautiful practice to do. So let's do it. Okay. So as we start to settle in, feel free to find a comfortable position, however that feels in your body. Just make sure you feel nice and supported. Maybe ground and root down through the soles of the feet or down through the sit bones if you're seated. And if you're lying on the earth, really feel that connection. You can always sit, stand, whatever feels good. Just make sure you feel supported and safe. And then from here, you're welcome to close the eyes or find a nice soft focus, whatever feels good, whatever's calling you. And then I always like to take a few rounds of collective breath together. So breathing in through the nose. And then sigh, release it out through the mouth. We'll do a couple more like that, breathing in through the nose. Sigh, release out through the mouth. And one more deep breath in. Big sigh, letting go breath out. And then from here, just allow the breath to find its own natural pace, its own natural rhythm. Breathing in and out of the nose, if that feels all right for you. And as we start to settle in, you're welcome to anchor your focus either on the breath, the physical sensations of breathing in and breathing out. So maybe noticing that rise and fall through the chest. Maybe notice that expansion and contraction across the lungs and the rib cage. Just bringing awareness to where the breath feels the most alive for you and your body. 
And if anchoring the focus on the breath isn't really working for you, you can always rest the focus and attention on the weight of the hands resting. Or maybe the soles of the feet grounded to the earth. Or maybe even sound. Sound can be a beautiful anchoring point as well. Just listening to the noises in the room, the space you're in, sound of my voice. And as we start to settle in here, I'll invite us to offer our words of loving kindness, compassion, our meta phrases. So I like to start with myself and then expand that circle out. So if it feels okay for you, you're welcome to place a hand maybe over the heart center, another hand over your belly. Just take a few breaths here. Notice feeling sensations, gentle rise and fall of the chest. And then bringing awareness and focus on ourselves, maybe even visualizing ourselves in our mind's eye. Just see yourself, notice yourself. And from here, we'll offer the word of meta loving kindness. May I be well, healthy, and whole. And you're welcome to repeat these phrases to yourself in silence or maybe out loud if you're in a space that invites that. May I be happy and content. May I be loved. May I love and be loving. May I feel comfort and joy. May I feel complete. And take a few rounds of breath. Just allow those words to wash over you, wash through you. And now letting go of the focus on ourselves. See if you can bring into your mind's eye someone that you love. And this can be a person, an animal, someone that... It's easy for you to love. There's no sort of dramas or struggles in the relationship. Just someone that's easy and effortless to love. Maybe a pet. (laughs) Whoever may show up there in your mind's eye, picture them. We'll offer words of meta loving kindness. May you, and you can even say their name, may you be well healthy, and whole. May you be happy and content. May you be loved. 
May you love and be loving. May you feel comfort and joy. May you feel complete. And take a few moments here again to allow those words to travel out, knowing and trusting that they're being received as they're meant to. And now letting go of that person, that individual. And this time bring to mind someone that you may be struggling with. So this could be someone that you've had an argument with, maybe someone you're not getting along with very well, you've had some sort of conflict. Whoever this person might be, see if you can allow to bring them into your mind's eye. And if it's helpful, you can also place them across the room in a chair that feels a safe distance. And once you're ready, we'll also offer words of loving kindness to this individual. May you be well, healthy, and whole. May you be happy and content. May you be loved. May you love and be loving. May you feel comfort and joy. May you feel complete. And allow those words to resonate, knowing and trusting they're being received as they need to. Letting go of that individual. From here, we'll transition to a community or a group. So this can be a group of coworkers, maybe a neighborhood, maybe a social group that you're in or with or around. Any sort of group, maybe a neighborhood, a town, whatever feels compelled, whatever feels called for, bring that group into your mind's eye and we'll offer them that a loving kindness. May all of you be well, healthy, and whole. May all of you be happy and content. May all of you be loved. May all of you love and be loving. May you all feel comfort and joy. May you all feel complete. 
and allow the words to travel out. Again, knowing and trusting it's being received as it needs to be. And now letting go of that group, that community in our mind's eye. And finally, we'll bring awareness to everything, everyone, all of existence, the universe, the entire world, however you'd like to phrase it. Bringing in a sense of all that is, of all of creation, and we'll offer meta-loving kindness to everything. May all of this existence be well, healthy, and whole. May all that is in existence be happy and content. May everything in existence be loved. May all that is love and be loving. May all in existence feel comfort and joy. May all feel complete. And take a few rounds of breath here. Allow that intention, allow that wish. You can even call it a prayer to be sent out, feeling that vibrational energy, making a shift, making a change. All for our highest good. Knowing and trusting that it's being received as it's meant to. And now letting go of that focus and attention, coming back, returning into our bodies. Allow the breath to become a little bit longer, a little bit deeper. Start to reground into the soles of the feet, into the hands, maybe bringing in some movement, wiggling the fingers, wiggling the toes. Maybe take some shoulder rolls here. You can even start to roll the neck, the shoulders, whatever feels good in your body, just intuitively listening to stretches, wiggle. And then I always like to take a nice deep breath in, maybe stretch and reach up towards the sky, bringing the hands together, and then bringing those hands to our heart center. And if it feels all right for you, maybe bowing the head towards the hands and towards the heart, just in a moment of gratitude and appreciation. For yourself, for taking this time to be here, to share in this practice. I hope you all have beautiful days ahead. The light in me honors the light in you. Thank you so much. That was beautiful. My pleasure, Henry. Thank you. My heart feels filled with joy and compassion and peace. And I feel super grounded. Beautiful. All right. So if people want to work with you, how do they find you? So I have a website called partofthesolution.com and solution is spelled with soul. So S-O-U-L. So that's probably the best place to find me. Also part of the solution on Instagram, also on Facebook. And then you can also find me on LinkedIn as Tamara Stanfield. And then I do also teach, uh, I should mention physically in person, 
in Northern California. So if you do ever come up to Napa or Sonoma, I do offer classes at the Harvest Inn Resort. I teach yoga on Saturday mornings in the most beautiful location on the Vinrose Lawn that overlooks the vineyards and the Maya Camus Mountains. And then uh, also on Saturday mornings after that, I teach at Health Spa Napa Valley, beautiful yoga class there. And then in Sonoma, I often teach at Sonoma Yoga. There's a beautiful outdoor space here too, beautiful garden park uh, where you can take in the sights and sounds of nature as we practice yoga and meditation together. Amazing, which just kind of comes full circle where you got your yoga certification. You started teaching mindfulness meditation beforehand. And now you have certification in meditation and you're teaching now yoga and (laughs) meditation. Amazing, 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 amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here with us. And before we go, I always like to de-link. And so if you also want to de-link, you can. You can say this after me if it resonates with you. If you are a Reiki practitioner, you can also do dry bathing. So here we go. I asked to break the links with this podcast, with this episode, with the meditation. I asked to break the Reiki links, leaving only harmony and balance at either ends. I also asked to clear any residual energies being held in my body as a result of these links. I ask that light Reiki fills all the void cells, rejuvenates, refreshes, revitalizes for the highest good with ease and grace. And so it is. May peace be with all of you. Thank you so much for joining us. Much love, light, and Reiki blessings, everyone. Thank you.